I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today, Jesus Pavelito Melendez. He is a New York poet born in Puerto Rico. He's published, <laughs> yeah. He's published a lot of in a lot a lot of anthologies. He's published many books. One of his plays, he's also a playwright. One of his plays, The Junkie Stole the Clock, was the first Latino play ever produced by the New York Shakespeare Festival. And uh, he also is a fellow, got a fellowship from the New York Foundation for the Arts. And his book, Borracho, Very Drunk, Love Poems and Other Acts of Madness. It's a 50 volume, 50 poem volume of love poems with Spanish translation. So you've got a bilingual collection here. Translations by Amineris Morales. She'll be joining us later to read a poem in Spanish. And it's a journey through a poet's struggle in love and life. It's called by, uh, it's been called a raw and lyrical exploration of the exigencies, heartbreaks, and limits of love. And it features some beautiful poems. So, Jesus, I'm so glad you can do this. Okay, thank I mean, you very much, Charlie. And, and I, I, mean, I appreciate the opportunity. And I mean, Papo, I know you like to go by Papo. So, right. all righty. So, uh, yeah, what, tell me what the other thing uh, is that you were among the group that got together and really started the New Eurekan poetry movement. And that was uh, pretty you, exciting. Well, yes. Uh, but, but I got to make a clarification in the introduction. Yeah. I was actually, uh, I was I was conceived in Puerto Rico, okay. but I was born in New York City, oh. um, it, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I like that about myself, yeah. actually. Uh, I was like smuggled into the country <laughs> in, my, in my mom's uh, uh you know, yeah, <laughs> in my mom's stomach. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, there's a um, there's a photograph that somehow got lost in my family. Um, but it was my mom and and my, my older brother and sister with her, and she's pregnant, and 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 that's when you you know you got off the plane and you were on the tarmac. So there's this big TWA uh. gigantic thing, and and they're at the foot of the staircase, and so. You know, that was in January of 1950, and I was born in June, so. Okay. Um, yeah, so so that actually, um, um, you know, plays into the whole picture of the New Yorican scene. Um, New Yorican, the term, uh, me- meaning like like a New York Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. New Yorican, mm-hmm. uh, went through different permeations, Neo-Rican, New, you know, different... Mm-hmm. Permeation of that, but it was actually like not a complimentary term to be called. Oh, those are the New Yorkians, you know, meaning those oh. are the Puerto Ricans from New York who can't speak Spanish, and so <laughs> forth. And um, but you know, like I always tell people in the equation of um, derogatory uh, labels, that unlike the N word, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to take our N word and and change it around into something giving it a, 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 a embracing an identity that was positive that was, there was a that and um so the whole new Yorican movement attaches itself to puerto rico as a cultural you know historical intellectual artistic 
movement that attaches us to Puerto Rico and makes us proud Puerto Ricans, nevertheless being identified or signified as New Ricans, you know. Um, and then that comes into play during the Maria situation where uh, uh, the, the Maria hurricane when Puerto Rico, the island of Puerto Rico, and now um, with the uh, earthquakes, has needed help, and because of the Jones Act, which prevents other countries from coming to the rescue, uh, the, the, it's a U.S. Uh, kind of like embargo on Puerto Rico yeah. um, law, maritime law. So that's why countries can't bring ships over and help Puerto Rico and be, you know, humanitarian. But the New Yorkian Puerto Rican community in, in New York, in the United States, can then become that almost like a foreign country, but not. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so there's that. <laughs> anyway, the movement started because, you know, uh, a, a lot of us were writing in our own vacuums in the '60s. You know, well, '50s and '60s, mm -hmm. early '60s, and we really didn't associate or know one another. We're just writing, and and so things, you know, they burgeon. You know, um, the the '60s. You know, everybody was making yeah. statements, civil rights, and everything. So we kind of coalesced toward the village and the, and the Lower East Side, um, coming from Brooklyn, East Harlem, uh, the Bronx, you know, all these people who were writing. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the village kind of, you know, magnetized us all together and we wound up being in the Lower East Side, meeting Miguel Agarín, Miguel Piñero, Lucky, and all these people. And we started reading poetry in Miguel Agarín's house. Uh, he, he had an apartment first floor apartment on the um on on sixth um, street um between b and c and so that's that's where the new Yorican uh movement the new Yorican cafe comes all out of these salons that we would have in his house they were all nighters sometimes all weekenders we'd wake up you know sounds <laughs> we'd great. wake up wherever we, we fell off sounds sleep. wonderful and also people would would uh, uh would would the poets would come with, with pieces of paper, you know, poems they were working on. And it was like a workshop, you know. So yeah. People would try out new poems, you know, and uh, and you could see them scribbling before they were reading. It was a very, very, uh, very beat or post-beat, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. experience. Oh, that's great. Well, it's really nice to know a little more about the background. Uh, I remember uh, reading at the New York and, and uh, the cafe, and it was just, Wow, what a big, enthusiastic crowd. The place was really jumping for a poetry place, especially, you know. Just energetic. <laughs> yeah. energetic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very supportive and, you know, just yeah. a crazy place. I mean, we've had our wild times, but, you know. <laughs> you know Ginsburg used to read there all the time, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think Baraka had plays uh, performed, uh, produced there. Yeah, and Mr. Reed like yeah. recently did his thing, um, uh, uh, the, the counterpoint to Hamilton. Uh huh. Um, he wrote a, a counterpiece to Hamilton, yeah. uh, Ishmael Reed. Uh huh. Yeah. The, the black poet yep. playwright. Yeah, I know. And uh, he, uh, uh, it was like what he did was bring up all the characters that were left out of the uh, Hamilton, Broadway oh. Hamilton gotcha. narrative. Meaning the Native Americans, the slaves, you know, Great. and so forth, uh -huh. and uh, you know Harriet Tubman and them, and they all spoke their narratives. Um, it, it was kind of like a court case, you know, where they held um, the playwright, um, 
liable, yeah. you know, and you know, for, for just using one resource material to create uh, this narrative of Hamilton and making well, him a well, Hispanic. That's, I, that's why it's, it's so important <laughs> to have places like that where those kind of messages can be can get out. You know, so uh, but yeah. Let's hear some poems from from the new book. Let's hear a poem anyway. Uh, what do you want to um, do? What do you okay, do first? well. Well, the, the the book, you know, we would call it, you know, love poems and other acts of madness because they're poems on different, different things, you know, mm. different themes of romance and and um, uh, let me see, I just I don't even know where to begin. I have I have the the English manuscript in front of me. Um, okay, this is I uh, just this is a poem called My Lady, and and so mm. the, some of the poems are autobiographical, and also they're they're autobiographical in terms of me sitting down and observing something, for instance, mm-hmm. and, and writing about that in a, in a relationship, uh, like this one. This is called My Lady. The handsome lady rides a handsome man in a handsome cab, drawn by a handsome horse with his handsome hair in a handsome air, blessed by handsome stars in a handsome night, where fly handsome birds through handsome clouds and sing their handsome songs that bring the handsome boys to the handsome girls with their handsome eyes to the handsome room with the handsome curtains and the handsome sheets beneath which handsome madness occurs in handsome madness to seem a handsome dream and awaken a handsome morning to see a handsome face and touch a handsome hand to drink handsome coffee and have a handsome toast to share a handsome laugh and walk a handsome street and in a handsome hour to smell a handsome flower and recall that handsome moment to see the handsome lady who rides a handsome man in her handsome cab who doffs his handsome hat quite handsomely. Ah, uh, you are one of the poets who makes the poem more than it is on the page when you present <laughs> <it>. <laughs> truly i read that poem and i like it a whole <laughs> lot more now that i heard you read it i like it right now it's just different because you just put all those nuances uh into it vocally and it makes a lot of difference well, it's really yeah well you know I, I have fun reading my poems reciting them um and uh, i i always tell people the hard part is writing them you know, but the fun part is, you know, reciting them or having them printed, you know. And yeah. last night we had the opening party for um, uh, for um, my book, Borracho. And, you know, we had the uh, the the entertainers of different different fields, uh, comedians, uh, radio personalities, just, you know, just a bunch of mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans uh, reading my poetry. And I just had a lot of fun listening to them and their own cadences to the poems. And, and just, you know, it was just, just, you know, I don't get that chance, you know. So it was good to hear like eight people read my poetry in their own interpretation. Yeah, you, you said know? that's uh, something they do in Puerto Rico, that you'd have others come for a, a book celebration and they read the books out of the poem rather than the poet. Uh, and it just 
puts the focus on the poetry a little more. Yes, yes, it, it, yeah, right. It, that's what it did. I, 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 I saw people actually listening to to the poetry. You know, like there was. It's interesting. There was no poet to distract. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, right, I'm right. Look, oh, here, um, I'm looking for a poem, uh, Bohemian. Oh, here it is. I want to share with you. Um, oh. Some of the poems are read in English, and some of them are read in Spanish. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> last night. <clears throat> so this is Bohemian in Love. Oh, and before I forget, yeah. I was like, you know, like each poem has a history. So I could, I'll tell you about my lady but, and, and Bohemian, but Bohemian in Love. I remember a room wherein the sun's light would shoot through an open shade, cast itself upon a wall, bounce from sheet to curtain, appear again, then fade. Such as it is with age, that time goes by, and I, once here and once gone out of my mind, and peace disappeared from the presence of my soul on earth. It was you then who held me when my tears appeared as blood upon a fossil pillow shape, where once upon a dream was dreamed, and all that now remains is the remains of waking in the morning after sharing love the night before. You and I, the snuggle and embrace, the entanglement of limbs and skin, the bare nakedness of the human body, the glistening oils of the soul expressed in a room wherein the sun's light would suit itself through an open shade, cast upon a wall, bounds from sheet to curtain, appear again, then fade, yet stay. You know what I find interesting? Uh, Things like my my tears appeared as blood. Somehow, I, I get this feeling that people who are more associated with the Spanish language than I am come up with images like that more often. Mm. I, I, I don't know if that's just an odd observation. Like, or, like, I don't know, like like Lorcan or something. Huh? That's exactly. I'm thinking Lork. I'm thinking of whenever I think about it, I think it like. Why can't I write poems with bloody guitars? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it, it yeah, just doesn't that's come to me. <laughs> Maybe if I work it's at like it, I a, could. <laughs> what but, is it? Abstract surrealism or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, I, I okay, love it. okay. I'll, I'll share something. With you. I'll share sure. the moment when I realized that I was a poet. Oh, good. Um, I was. I, I you know, I, I had my first. Well, my son. He was already born, and I lived in the Bronx uh, with his mom at the time. This is in the 70s. This is around 1972 or so, one or two. Even though I was working on poems and and I had published a couple of things, printed and so forth, uh, and and one of my high school teachers was the one who told me that, you know, what I had been writing all along when I was 16. Mm. You know, she told me that, you know, what I had been writing all along up to that point were poems. And I was, you know, really taken aback by that. I, you know, to me, they were just things that I were writing, you know. Yeah. And she said, no, no, these things are poems. 
And then she like kind of helped me a little bit, give them structure and understand structure, put it that way. And, um, and all of that, just, just that one lesson, you know, like right. put everything together that I have been doing anyway. Um, but, but making sense, um, you know? So, um, uh, so one day I'm, I'm, I'm going home and it's kind of like dusking and it, and there's, it had snowed in New York a lot. You know, I think it was still snowing a little bit, but there were these big mountains of snow, you know, like when they push yeah. them up against the sidewalk. So I'm about to cross the street, right? And I have to jump over a mountain of this snow. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, usually, you know, you look for footprints. <laughs> so I'm about to do that when I notice there's a fire hydrant. You know, underneath the snow and all the sewing of it, it's a little cap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, it's a good thing I didn't jump over that, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, so I avoided that turn around and I looked back at it. But then when I look back at it and I think about that, this, this all happens in an instant. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, the pump kind of like becomes a surreal thing and, and it, it's a pump, but it, because it's in the snow, it could be something else, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it, 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 it's like it's like quarks, like what's inside of a of an atom. You know what I mean? That, that keeps changing what it is until it until it's smacked by some neutrons or something. You know? Yeah. And so, so it's just uh, it just keeps morphing into surreal things. It's like not a pump. It's a person. It's a snowman. It's you know all these things right. all at once. <laughs> And so I continue crossing the street, but as I'm crossing the street, I'm realizing that I can see that that way because I have this like thing, this poetic vision. And that to me is the first time when I self kind of absorb that into like my reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see that part of yourself was really there. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, as a kid, I remember I used to look at the ceiling and the walls when I wake up in the morning. Um, my brother and I had a bunk bed, and 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 so I look up in the ceiling, and the cracks in the ceiling sometimes were images. You know, I, I felt like sometimes if I took a pen, I could paint over them, and 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 bring out the face yeah. that I was seeing. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and clouds. You know, yeah. clouds. Oh, and, sure. You know, look like there comes a damn battleship. You know. Right. <laughs> Just you know. making transformations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I grew up in the 50s where Buicks had great curves and we, we'd sit on people's cars. They were annoyed, right. you know. But I remember passing my hand over the grill of, of an old Buick, you know, the chrome, you know, and just all these curves where the light, uh, the you know, the yeah. headlights would go in. Remember? <laughs> oh, cars yeah. did not like that. <laughs> you know, well, real expensive cars are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear another poem. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's see where we go. Okay, this is a, a little long poem, but this is a poem for my son that I wrote. Um, I, I wrote this poem when I when I was living in California, and I hadn't seen my son in a couple of years. So the title of the poem is. Poem for the fact that I haven't seen the face of my son in two whole years gone past. Wow. And um, so I was was thinking about him one day, and and this is what I wrote. First you take the two tiny feet. In between your index and middle and ring fingers, 
bracing them between your thumb and lift them up off of the bed and raise his tiny soft and flabby buns above the wet and soggy protective quilted cotton lining of the new fangled contraptionated foam rubber diaper that's in the vogue for newborn babies now to model in their playpens and cribs. To flaunt about in daycare centers, in shopping malls, in doctor's offices, as you separate him from his brand new mass of mess that he's just left behind to greet your day like fresh strong coffee smells. This is apparently the thanks a parent gets, the composite quality, the quantity of which is measured in teaspoons of food amounting to the organic chemical compoundation complicatedly, eloquently eloquated in the equationable hypothesis, cock-a-doo-doo-da over a diaper squared. As you do this, with pure love so tenderly in your bare hands. You might think to tickle him beneath his unwrinkled chin as you observe for yourself how you've just made a part of yourself outside of yourself participate in the phenomenon of human laughter. The element of life which binds a man to a bird. Music when it's heard. A tree sway against the sky. And this, therefore, the reason why he might push your hand away with all the might he might conjure up to swell in the sweat of his hands, all in the knowledge of his two-week stay on this world and all that he understands of it. But please don't you misunderstand yourself. He's just a child, not yet a man. So then you take the dirty diaper and find a clean place somewhere on its surface, most probably up front, and wipe it across the crack of his bare behind, cleaning off any excess excrement that might be stuck up there still. And then you pull away the rag and dispose of it most properly without moving a single inch from where you are, nor letting go the feet. Then you take a clean and warm, damp cloth and wipe not away, and perhaps another for hygienic sake. And then you dry him up with soft dabs of still a softer cloth. Then you take a decent glob of Vaseline petroleum type jelly stuff, although vitamin E would be even better an idea, and you rub it all in there with care to prevent those mean old nasty germs from starting up their own inhuman race on the face of your baby's behind. Then, this is when you place a brand new diaper underneath, pre-folded just the way your mother taught you to, and you sprinkle some Johnson's and Johnson's baby powder generously all over. Then you fold up the front panel and tuck it at one side and pin it up good and tight. Then you fold the other over and tuck it up as just as good, pinning it with a snug. Then you pull his T-shirt over it, and you place your hands under his arms and hold him up behind his neck and lift him up against your chest as you kiss him hard and hold him tight and sway him to his sleep this night because he'll never be this age again. Oh, yeah. A very joyful poem. <laughs> and changing diapers. That's very incredible. Anybody could use this as an instruction manual. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> so stuff like that. And yeah. then um, um, something more 
more tragic. Let me see. Mamita, uh, what would be more um, a hurtful poem? Um, well, there's some really... This is some women whom I know. This is a... This, I was sitting at a table once, you know, with some friends of mine at Coffee House San Diego, and uh, and I was privy to their conversation. They were just sitting like, you know, like they're flanking me, and I'm, I'm between them. And they're having this conversation about men and rape and all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, and, you know, I was thankful that I was there. It was a horrible conversation. Um, but anyway, so this is something I wrote after that. Uh, it's called Some Women Whom I Know. Do women know instinctively just how to recline in a dark alley between garbage cans and broken bottles among old newspapers, wet mattresses, when they are thrown there by their rapists? In another moment, their murderers, the abductors of their human liberty, invaders of their spiritual dignity, grabbing the souls of their bodily existence from out of a night a moment before pure mystery, strange, all unfamiliar and innocent uncertainty in the performance of a crime. I know women who get slapped across their rouged faces by the rough hands of men who embrace them, boyfriends who abuse their friendship because they are the better fighters, exercising the dexterity of flexing a muscle across a supple cheek, even if against with whom they sleep, so comfortably stretched across the beds where they lay their heads to dream their separate dreams, where they escape and then awake, frightened by their fate. My friends, these women whom I've come to know go back to their lovers, some with wounds, some fully healed, some with scars not yet revealed, always a different woman goes, packs up her things and goes, unknowing why, tears fill her eyes, except for love, she goes to the man who loves her, so. Because that was the issue. That, yeah. <laughs> that's what they were arguing about, is why do women go back? And then there's a myriad of reasons, you know, for you sure. know, age, children, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's like, very kind of, yeah. it just impressed yeah. me, you know, like, as a dang, you know, because something dudes don't, yeah. I thought, necessarily consider, you know. Right, right, right. Well, it's about time for us to uh, get to Amneris with her uh, oh, okay. translation. Amneris. Yeah. Rente. Um, uh, what do you, what do you, which one are you going to read, man? Um... No, I mean, uh, hello, hi there. And now we have Amaneris uh, Morales, who is the translator of the poems in Baracho. And uh, you're going to read Bohemian and Love, which we heard in English, right? Mm-hmm. And you're yes, to, yes, and you're going to do that in Spanish. That is great. I'm so glad that, you're there to do it. That's correct. Perfect. Okay. All right. <sighs> Recuerdo una alcoba en donde la luz del sol penetraba por entre una abertura oscura, arrojándose sobre una pared 
brincando de sábana a cortina, reaparecer y después desvanecer. Tal como pasa con la edad, que el tiempo pasa y yo una vez estoy aquí y una vez ido fuera de mi mente y la paz desapareció de la presencia de mi alma en la tierra. Fuiste tú entonces quien me abrazó cuando mis lágrimas aparecieron como sangre sobre un fósil en forma de almohada, donde una vez había un sueño dentro de un sueño. Y todo lo que queda ahora son los vestigios del despertar en la mañana, después de compartir el amor la noche antes, tú y yo acurrucados y abrazados en el enredo de extremidades y piel, en la desnudez desnuda del cuerpo humano, con los relucientes aceites del alma revelados en una alcoba en donde la luz del sol desearía lanzarse para entrar entre una abertura oscura, arrojarse sobre una pared, brincar de sábana a cortina, reaparecer y después desaparecer. Sin embargo, se queda. ¿Qué would you say is, uh, I'm just curious, and people might like to know, what's the most difficult thing about doing the translations is there certain kinds uh, of uh ideas that are hard to translate or is it just yes yes yeah. it's uh it's very difficult because uh the poems uh the papaletto's uh way to to write is um he used a lot of metaphors you know mm -hmm. so you cannot translate word by word but at the same time you have to respect the 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 musica musicality uh in the poem the rhythm that he has in in his writing so you have to 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 to, to no 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 you have to 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 respect that mm -hmm. it has to be in the translation but at the same time it's uh, the spanish language is very very different you know mm -hmm. uh so uh it gets another rhythm no matter you try to to respect uh the 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 original rhythm mm -hmm. you know So I think that is uh, the, the, the most difficult part in the translation. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's not like other uh, Papaletto's poems, uh, like uh, the political poems mm -hmm. and so social poems that are very specific in the way that he's talking, that is very New Yorkian. Lost poems uh he used in in in, in on those these poems uh universal language and mm -hmm. love is universal yeah love is love no no matter in which language <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> okay well thanks so much i'm so glad you could be there thank to, you uh, thank to, you yeah to okay. read the spanish and okay Papa... so here is here is papoleto okay So how was that? Hey, so? beautiful, beautiful. This is what we like to do. Something a little different for the <laughs> folks who are listening, you know. And anybody who wants to remember, you can always... The beautiful thing I think about having recordings like this is that after hearing that in Spanish, you can just go back to, I don't know, about 
maybe it was about eight minutes from the start of this, and that's where you can hear the poem again in English. Uh, you can go back yeah, and forth yeah. if you want to, you know. So uh, yeah, the the book yeah. is like that. It's good like that because the, yeah. the the poems are across from each other. Beautiful, yeah. And we kept, you know, we we kept the line structure. My yeah. whole lines. You know, I hadn't talked about my style cascadence on the page, which yeah. is a whole movement thing, not designed to make images, you know, like concrete poetry, sure. but rather using the words in some form, making concrete. Um, but, uh, you know, using capitalization sure. and little and, and, and lowercase mixed together, like in the words, no one, for instance, and putting the no and the one together and capitalizing the two O's gives you a sense of loneliness. You get no one. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Things yes. like that. And, 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 and the way they, I call it cascadence because the lines begin on the left-hand margin like a poem would, but then they stray off. They kind of cascade right. down the page and come back to the margin only to indicate a new stanza. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, It's taken me years to develop this. I've seen this in um, Ferlin Getty's work, um, sure. Baraka, and E.E. Yeah. E. Cummings, you know? Mm -hmm. So those are, you know, my early influences on right. this. And then I've done my own thing and, and call it Cascadence because that's what it looks like, a cascade, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and even a word, one word can have its own, can occupy its own line. Yeah. Just one word, like the word like. I'm looking at a poem right here and it's like, you know, um, accused, of, accused all by itself. And then the next line of smelling like every decent, persons that's the nine then the next line personal shit yeah right under <laughs> person is personal shit so you got persons personal shit and then the last line on the like <laughs> by itself so you know how dare a word have a line by itself you know yeah. but my poems are replete like that i know to give because the word you know to me the word you know wants its own space another thing is that i'm sorry to comment i just um, when, when Joseph Papp and the New York Shakespeare Festival did their production of um, the Three Penny Opera by Bertrand Breck and, and Kurt Weill, um, uh, with uh, Raul Julia playing Mac the Knife, great production. Mm -hmm. um, well, the translation from German to English was purposely done uh, uh, um, syllable per syllable. Wow. Yeah, you should hear that recording. It, it's available. Um, syllable per syllable. So if you follow the German, you'll see that they were really, really cool. And it's just dynamic. And it's guttural language, just like in the original uh, play. You know, it's not soft in. It, it's, it's a really cool production. All right. Um, hey, and, well, uh, great. You know, really great talking to you. I'm so glad you could do okay. this. And, uh, Thank you, John. Yeah. And, and that we could have that translation too. So, folks, let me remind you: you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Jesus Papaleto Melendez. Papo, this has been just great. And the book is called Baracho, published by Two Leaf Press. Uh, let's be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. 
Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.